So one of the things that we were talking about is when you come together in relationships that are based in insecurity, which all of us are in some way or form insecure. I mean, how many people do you know who are fully secure in themselves? Very few, or maybe none. But based on those insecurities, the energy that gets created in your third chakra is that of a power play. Yes, women have a much subtler way of doing this power play. Men have a little more obvious way of doing power play. So we listed a few of the ways this power play happens in relationships. And the few of them were controlling, let's say, finances, controlling uh, social interactions, you know, who creates that structure of who we are meeting, who our friends are, where we're going. You know, it's these very subtle ways controlling the, the routines of children, creating certain routines in your home environment that will keep the other person in, in a state of obliging you. Does that make sense? And one of the ways, this is a very subtle one that we do, is when we feel powerless in a relationship, one of the ways we exert our power is by withdrawing our affection. Does it make sense? You all know that one, don't you? I don't like what's going on. You are not listening to me. I don't seem to have the power to communicate with you. You don't seem to have the ability to listen to me. So I'm going to shut up. I'm withdrawing all affection. And that is that was one of the tools, the only thing that women had along, long for a very long time, but it is still showing up, isn't it? Yes, we have one, one guy in the room, so we should ask you. <laughs> but it, it shows up, and women, you know, we do this very subtly, and you can tell that this is actually in our genetics. <laughs> Knowingly or unknowingly, we know we have power over affection. Yes? The affection giver in the relationship is the woman. And men, that's all they're craving is affection. And it might show up differently, it might show up through sex or through other things. But all they're looking for is that state of connection or affection from the woman. So when in a relationship dynamic, in a power play, that starts to get withdrawn. What starts to get created is a wall of indifference. You know, at some point, you even stop shouting at each other. <laughs> you've done the arguing, you've done the shouting. Now it's just nothing. Yogi Bhajan used to say that is a way more dangerous place to be in than hate. The hate is just another version of love. You're shouting it out, you're getting it out, you're doing something. Indifference is that stillness that we're talking about outside today. Nothing is happening. But part of that withdrawal, multiple things are happening. If you are conscious enough, in that withdrawal, you, will, you can receive back and say, what is it that I'm doing here? Why do I want to receive from this? Because the answer will come, because I have tried all other ways of engaging this and it's not worked. So all I have left is this. But again, in that conscious state, what is it within me that either thinks I have to deal with this, either I deal with it, 
and go with the way things are going, or I withdraw. Those are the only two solutions that are available to me. So in that withdrawal is, is a little way of stepping back. So yes, you can connect into your insecurities. Could be, like I said, the way you observed growing up, what was taking place in the relationships around you. That was the easiest way to just deal. So it's a dealing, it's a coping mechanism. So in that withdrawal, can you sit and say, instead of just coping, can I get my creativity into, is there another way around this? Stepping back is the only way you can look at that relationship differently, can't you? You can do that while you're in it arguing. And the insecurity will come. The fear is that of failure, correct? You engage a relationship that the other person isn't communicating or listening. So you withdraw. But the question is, if I engage them in a different way, what is the fear that rises up in me of being shut down again? That's one fear. Fear of failure that I won't get anywhere. They won't be able to see me again. But that is also a really good time to evaluate your what got you to this place in the first place. Is this making sense? There's evaluation involved of your present time. There's evaluation of what led me to this place? What led them to this place? So it's not just about you, it's the other person too. Yes, each one of us took a pathway to get to where we are today. If I were to walk in your shoes and made the exact same choices as you did, I would be exactly at the same place as you are today. So evaluating what steps did I make? So you will find out that the insecurity is not really in the present moment, but the insecurities were there at every moment of your decision-making process, which led you to this moment of withdrawal. Is this making sense? So observing those insecurities, why did I choose to be with this person who is so disconnected what was my insecurity back then? Is it still there today? Is it exactly at the same place that it was back then? So that's the part that is more purposeful in your growth than anything else in that state of withdrawal. And you will find if you can reconcile some of those insecurities, your wall will also start to recede. Where there won't be an indifference, there would be an acceptance. This is where you are right now. But there is no disconnect it's a fine line between disconnect and observed acceptance complicated relationships are complicated and that power play is major every every relationship whether it's spouses or colleagues or siblings or <laughs> parent child there is a power play going on in each one. And so the goal on Friday was to observe, where do I do these very subtle power plays? Where do I create these? And what are they telling me about me? Where do I feel powerless 
Most of these are defense mechanisms. When I feel powerless, I will create a play. Yes, does it help? Any questions? Any other questions? Yeah, so I, I guess the issue I'm dealing with right now, I grew up in Orange County. I lived for the past three years. I've lived in mountains. So I've been disconnected in nature, my values. You know, I watch the sunset every night. I got up every morning. But it's not I surrounded myself with people that had similar values to me. Um, and then I came back down. And I've been down here for three months. And it's been a struggle for me to kind of go out and interact with people because I just don't see the same values. I have in them, and I'm constantly like looking at their vibes, and I can pick up their vibrations very easily. But I'm, I'm just struggling to find my place here again. Um, so I guess I'm kind of stuck with wondering, you know, how I can get that perceived thought out of my head that you know, if I meet someone new, if I meet a group of friends, they're gonna, you know, have the same beliefs and community values, and they're on the same levels of consciousness than I am. I just look at people and it's just go, go, go. It's so difficult down here to just be. <laughs> um, so I guess I'm, I'm just trying to find the balance and just ways to help. Oh yeah, trust me, every, everybody <laughs> yeah, here deals with that in yeah. one form or another. Um, you know, the yogis back then, they used to, uh, a lot of the Hatha yogis would retire off into the mountains, yeah? And the goal was, I go there, I figure myself out, then I come back and integrate. And mostly, nobody came back. <laughs> One or two people. Um, because coming back into this world and actually applying what you have figured about yourself is jarring. Yes? Why? Why do you think that is? Expectations off other people from you? No, no, just ex having too high of expectations from other people. Uh -huh. Yeah. Any expectations of myself, too. Like applying them, like everything I know I should or want to be doing, and all this knowledge and relationships, I'll attempt them, and I'm like, damn it, I, I messed up with you know, I know to, I know about these power plays, but I'm still playing them, so I think a lot of this. So you would tend to withdraw? Uh, not necessarily. So that one is more about self-discipline. Because if your nervous system isn't strong, you can learn something here cognitively, conceptually, but when it comes to application, the nervous system isn't there to deal with it. You know, not, that's a, literally a physiological thing. That's what Kundalini Yoga works on. We literally change your nervous system and your glandular system. So when you're in the moment, you're so aware, here I am doing this power play again, how do I change this? Yes? But for this one, there is a, our, our egoic self, yeah? We have a shadow self, an ego self, which is meant to deal with the outer world as, a, as a, almost like a, a buffer zone so the soul doesn't have to deal with everything. So it almost creates a stunt double, yeah? Now this 
itself over generations has figured out that if it feels okay, there is comfort in it, a certain kind of comfort, which is not the same comfort that the soul feels as comfort. But it has become pretty strong, the egoic self. And the egoic self, when you first come into the world and you open your eyes and your consciousness is pouring out through your senses and you're learning about people and things and picking up tones and observing their facial expressions, what is right, what is wrong, what felt right to them, you start to figure out that your identity, you're collecting your identity, yes, from other people. What you start to figure out is what they think about me is actually me, right? Then you get fed up of it and you say, I'm just going to leave everything and go away where I don't have to deal with their opinions. They're so harsh. So you stay away for a while. You've, oh, this is so wonderful. It's just me with me and me with me is wonderful. I within me is a wonderful person. I can spend a lot of time with her, right? And then you come back here and boom, the egoic self is again tapping on people's faces and checking, what do you think about me? What do you think about me? What do you think about me? And the this play starts. If you were to have this ability of trained consciousness where you could say, I see where they are, I see what they're thinking about me, but I know who I am. It takes a while to get there. Please know that. And that is why this is called a practice. It takes a while of putting yourself in situations, feeling people's opinions about you. You can literally feel it, can't you? You are, you are imagined like they're thinking this about me, they're thinking this about me. They're expecting this from me. And I want them to be like me. That is a very unreasonable expectation. There is no person in this world like you. Yeah, Yogi Bhajan used to say, you are you because everybody else was taken. <laughs> They're them. And you are you. And your job is to begin to create this relationship with yourself to such a degree, which is what time and age does. That when you're around people who are not at the same wavelength as you, and it is very jarring when you see people who are much older than you in a conscious state, which is that of a kindergartner. But you have to go through that of understanding and accepting that that's this whole place is a one-room classroom. Yeah, This universe is a university. And in this university, we have many different grades. But if you are around people and you are thinking they should automatically be at the same grade as you, you can't have that. So finding your tribe is part of that process. Finding people who resonate your wavelength. But even in that, allowing them to be who they are. So in the spiritual journey, it gets more and more difficult because there's a lot of movement in this physical growth, spiritual growth. Somebody asked me a question the other day. They said, Priya, do you have close friends? I had to really pause and think about it. I don't. I don't have close friends. I have, I have a connection from the heart with everybody. Now think about it this way. 
when do you make friends? When you are in a place for a long period of time. Yeah? Like you were there, you, you took three months, but you start to make friends, yes? Then you moved here, now you have to start to make friends again. And my journey has been one of constant movement within me. Does it make sense? You are friends with somebody who can understand you like this. You don't have to explain yourself to them. I am moving so fast that they don't know me from one meeting to another. But the beauty of it is that I don't feel the need of an external friend anymore because the union is now happening within me. And in that union, I can feel a state of connection to everybody, but there is no need for the friend. No need for that state of communication because my communication is not happening more vertically than horizontally. And But that was a really good question. It made me pause and think about that. Does this make sense? Okay. So give it time. Begin to truly own who you are, and you will see people will start to come who are at the same wavelength. It's a magnetic field. Okay. Anybody had a hand raised somewhere? Good. So if you are on the spiritual path, on the spiritual journey, don't get disheartened if people don't get you. People who used to get you don't get you anymore. Don't get drawn back because of that. Are you visualizing it? You're on a path. You're walking. In fact, you're running right now. Everybody could be walking. And as you pass them, you connect with them. And in that moment of connection, you enjoy them. Then keep running. And there's somebody else. And there's somebody else. It's like you meet people on this adventure. But you're not landing anywhere long enough to truly drop in your attachments, which is awesome. Yeah? Can you talk, can you elaborate a little bit more on the attachments? Because I feel like, I think I'm getting confused. Connections? And attachments. And attachments. Yeah, that was a big one on Friday. We are talking about connection versus attachment, right? Priya, you were supposed to give us answers. You're confusing us. Okay, this is how I understand it from my own experience. I feel that as long as I have attachment to something, it is a, a place that I ha I'm resting so I can work on it. Like I have my son, yes. I'm very attached to my son, obviously. But in that attachment, I can do something in that interaction. If I'm not attached to somebody, I cannot have an interaction. Yes? Would you have an interaction with somebody you're not attached to? In a, either in a good way or in an adverse way. It could be anything. Like attachment, the yogis describe attachment as that which attracts you, like you want to be bonded with them, and also something that creates an aversion in you that is also an, attract uh, an attachment. 
let's say, for example, you have an old uncle that you, you hate their guts. But you can't stop talking to about all your relatives. You're just talking about that person. You're attached to them. You see it? So attachment is if there's something left to do within that relationship, you, you have to get attached in order to resolve it. But at some point, the goal is to finish what needs to be done within the relationship, unattach from it, and free it and free yourself from it. If <laughs> that that is a that is an attachment based proverb. <laughs> please go. Please come back to me. Please come back to me. <laughs> you know, and I'm experiencing that right now with my son going to college. It is it that string of attachment because there's such a strong bond of attachment because I was his caregiver for that long. He was part of my identity for that long. So it's taking time to now unattach from him. So that is why this process is important. To It's like slowly releasing those ectoplasmic connections, you know, just letting them go one at a time, one at a time, one day at a time. So the deeper the, the attachment, the deeper those connections become. But now I'm turning that into more of a wireless connection instead of an attachment. It's making sense? The bond is there, but its nature is changing from an attachment to a connection, which doesn't require phone calls every day, which doesn't require five texts a week. There are no requirements around it, but there's just a deep bond, an unspoken, unseen connection that is so pure in its nature yes yes to refine it to that extent it's a refinement absolutely so peter and i are very much connected more than attached. Like if he's visiting somewhere, yes, his energy is missing, but I am not feeling, oh my God, you know? You know, because that's what we think in the Western world as love. If my heart isn't aching by missing somebody so much, that must be love. No, that's an attachment. My identity is attached to theirs. It's a need versus I can feel him even if he's not there. He's always around me. He's in me. He's in my essence. Now that's a bond that nothing can take. If I die or he dies, that bond will still continue on. It is. Yes. Because there was a need, there was a there was a big gaping hole within the self. And it's okay to start from there. Please don't judge attachment. Please don't think that it's bad to attach. And I want to underline that. Remember that it's not bad. You begin from attachment and you refine it to connection. 
that is the evolution of every relationship. That should be the evolution of every relationship, whether it's your dog or your cat or your lizard or your child or, you know, whatever that relationship is. My relationship, the studio, I'm working on it to refining it to the point of where it's, it's more of a connection than an attachment, right? So it's the same thing. I have to attach to you in order to help you, right? So teacher training is coming up. One thing that you guys, some of you have gone through teacher training, I get very attached to you and in, in your journeys and, you know, get personally involved in there because it's like my babies. <laughs> but I'm working on my journey has been about, okay, attached, now begin to unattach by the end of the nine months. Time to unhook so they can be free and now follow. I've given them all I can. Now it's their destiny, their journey, but I'm here. It's not in the form of that attachment anymore. But I have to attach first, lift, then unattach. Reminds me of Yogi Bhajan's analogy of a forklift. Remember the forklift analogy, guys? So he would say, if you're a forklift, you have to go in and dig into something, which means you are attaching, then lift it up and then pull it out. Make sense? And that is every relationship. So if you're self-bullying and say something happens, so you're less than active and you're not just, if the insecurities aren't there and they do something silly, it's easier to say. It's easy to understand and it's easy to have compassion. Yes. Understand who they are. They will only act the way they are. Once you've understood them, none of us are perfect, right? <laughs> so the goal is that the other understands me and I understand them. Once we've located it, how can I support the movement of something that's a flaw within the other instead of trying to pull it out of them. And that's the biggest mistake in relationships. And one thing I hope my son remembers because I really, really try to help him understand this. Don't try to be a knight in shining armor for anyone. That is the biggest trap, emotional trap of attachment. Be whole and complete within yourself. Present yourself as that and let them learn from your presence what it feels to be whole and complete instead of trying to fill somebody's need. All of those relationships turn into major attachments, always turn into some kind of problem. <laughs> yeah? So let's just keep shining the light on it. Keep observing it, but without judgment, please. Yeah? For more inspirational offerings,